And now let's try and tune in to No Good Music from an undisclosed location somewhere in New Jersey. She don't give a crap about her bad reputation. He can't smile too much, right? Because he's trying to play saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a guy with a deep voice every once in a while going, yeah. <laughs> that was his only job. And I was parking. I look up on a marquee and there's my name. He looked like he was out of a horror movie and he was he was thinking of something devious. I'm a rock and roll guy. This is Rob and Jeremy, and we are on our first podcast of the new year. How was your holiday, Jeremy? Uh, very chaotic. <laughs> I heard someone had a baby. Yeah, my uh, was it your girlfriend? No, not my oh. girlfriend. Whew, thank God. <laughs> I was gonna say I didn't get, you know, didn't get a baby gift. No, no, uh, it was her sister. Yeah. So we were on babysitting duty on Christmas Day and had to postpone Christmas yeah. right, until New Year's. Yeah, moved to New Year's Eve. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did a lot of nothing. I just <laughs> had off all week and listened to music, read, watched movies, oh. the normal. Had lunch at Applebee's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exchanged gifts, you know. So I got um, got a lot of cool music gifts. Uh, Jeremy and Kristen, they, Kristen got me a really cool drawing, color. I, it's hard to describe. I don't know if it's digital, but it's of Kiss and, and a little frame and I... It's on the wall in here now. What else I got? I got, I got Bono in a car. Funko. <laughs> uh -huh. I just have to find a place for him. Yeah. Jeremy got me that. And, and The Edge. Got Cheap Trick socks, Kiss socks. I got a book on Cheap Trick. I got a book on Pink, Pink Floyd. Got a lot of reading with that. Nice. So, oh, and I got a, I got a record cleaner Ooh. for my vinyl. All right. Spinomatic or whatever they call it. <laughs> you know, you buy these old albums, these cheap albums and... Who knows where they've been? Someone's basement, attic. Collecting dust somewhere. Well, I have gotten some that are real dirty, and you want your, the needle to last a while. Yep. Some were, like, real crackly, and then when I clean them, I have this spray cleaner right now, and they actually sound a little, they sound better once you <laughs> clean them up. That's good. So today, we uh, our main topic, and it's one we have always do now in January, is uh, Album Roulette, where we randomly... Jeremy and I randomly picked three albums each. Yeah. <laughs> Real roulette might be more fun. Yeah, and we have... <laughs> <laughs> and we're forced to listen to them and critique, review. So I, I have to say the one album I got is just... Jeremy thinks that his albums are bad, but this one I got is... I don't know. It, it's I think it's the worst thing I've ever heard. Wow. Yeah. Mine were critically acclaimed, so I guess they can't be that bad. Yeah. And those are from the Paste Magazine's website of Top 50, their Top 50 albums. And then... Um, Which makes you wonder. <laughs> if these six are six of the Top 50, yeah. what has happened to music? We're going to start, uh, we got albums turning 50, 40, and 30, and we have a new segment, uh, Artist Spotlight, where I'm going to talk about someone that's new to me. We're going to start with albums turning 50. Uh, before we do that, we have a couple beers here. Uh, yeah. We're going to, I'm going to keep hitting myself on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> now, this was in a variety pack. It's Jack's Abbey Craft Lager. It's from Framington, Massachusetts. This one's, I think the print keeps getting smaller, or maybe I can't read it anymore. I think it's 6.5. <laughs> and I, I thought this was, said onion, but it's <laughs> eponymous <laughs> union, West Coast style hoppy lager. Hoppy lager, not, uh, what is it, India pale ale. Right? Hoppy lager, all right. These 
glasses might be a little dirty. We're drinking out of. Oh, great. They've been sitting in the other room. <laughs> okay, so we poured the beer, and now we're going to try the beer. Okay. And this is exciting stuff. It's actually really good. Yeah. Tastes hoppy and light. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's so not, it's, too, uh, not too hoppy. So that's Jack's Abbey. And we, of course, are in New Jersey, USA, and that's where I got it. So yeah, Perfect. At a place I like to give a shout out to Mountain Valley. Mountain Valley uh, Brewery. Liquors or spirits or... Oh, okay. <laughs> In Washington, New Jersey. Okay, well, let's let's get this show on the road. So we're on to, as we do, we talk about the albums next year, or next year, next, <laughs> that are turning 50. <laughs> so this is uh, albums turning 50, February 1974. Okay. Way before Jeremy was around. Absolutely. And we have some news, uh, news from 1974, February 12th. New York's rock club, The Bottom Line, opens in Greenwich Village. And the first headlining act is Dr. John. Right. February 14th, the Captain and Tennille are married in Virginia City, Nevada. Now, when I was a kid, I always thought, I didn't think they were two people. (laughs) Even though I think on TV they were on the variety shows. Uh I always thought, I thought that was the name, Captain and Tennille. Captain and Tennille. Not Captain End. <laughs> I thought it was Captain, and his last name was Entenil. There you go. Yeah. So February 19th, the first American Music Awards are broadcast on ABC. Two weeks before the Grammys, Helen Reddy and Jim Croce are among the winners. Nice. February 20th, Cher files for, for divorce from her husband of 10 years, Sonny Bone. Sonny Bone, okay. So they were only married 10 years. You know, I saw an interesting thing on the internet the other day about Cher, mm-hmm. and it said something to the extent of, it might be time to investigate if she is really a vampire. <laughs> no, I think she just has good plastic surgery. <laughs> there you go. Something. Good blood. I just saw a video of Marie Osmond. Oh, my God. And the comments on Instagram mm-hmm. that she stole Michael Jackson's nose. <laughs> it does not look like her. No. She's been smoothed out. Okay. New nose. Okay, so we have albums. We have some monumental ones. I mean, this one, debut album from Kiss. Oh, there you go. Uh, released on February 18th, 1974. Much of the material on the album was written by Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. As members of their pre-Kiss band, Wicked Lester, Simmons estimated the entire process of recording and mixing took three weeks. While co-producer Richie Wise has stated it took just 13 days. Gene's memory's a little wonky. 13, let's say 13, well, that 13 days is two weeks. It's almost two weeks. Yeah. yeah, two weeks, three weeks. Oh, well. Probably a party or two in there. Yeah. Extended it a little bit. <laughs> so the album was recorded at Bell Sound Studios in New York City, which was owned by the company that owned Buddha Records. And Neil Bogart, the founder of Casablanca Records, was an executive at Buddha before forming Casablanca. And the record company held a party at the Century Plaza Hotel in Los Angeles to celebrate the West Coast release of Kiss. So it was a self-titled album. That was February 8th. And to introduce the record company to the press and other record industry executives. I think Cas- I think this was the first band Casablanca signed. Okay. They also, I remember, had Donna Summer. Mm-hmm. So the original release of the album did not include Kiss in Time. And it has been on every pressing since. So that's probably, that's a rare one. Yeah. There are approximately 100,000 copies of the original pressing without kissing time on it. So 100,000 is out there. Yeah. I'm sure people are still trying to sell them for like 1,000. I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, The album's photo shoot took place on January 31st, 1974 by Joel Brodsky at his studio on 57th Street in Manhattan. According to Paul Stanley, everybody except Peter Chris did their own makeup on the shoot. Interesting. And it says the makeup personnel did Chris's makeup, as Stanley described, like a tribal lion mask. I think he still looks like a cat. Yeah. I don't know if you can picture the first album. I can. We have Lou Reed, Rock and Roll Animal. It's a live album, and it was released February 1974 by RCA Records. In its original form, it featured 
features five songs, four of which were initially recorded by the Velvet Underground. Reed's band included Penny Glan on drums, Prakish <laughs> John on bass, Ray Colcord on keyboards, and Dick Wagner and Steve Hunter guitars. The two guitarists would later form the basis of the first Alice Cooper solo band. Okay. Beginning on Welcome to My Nightmare, which features Glenn and John also. So this album was recorded live on December 21st, 1973 at Howard Stein's Academy of Music in New York City. Rolling Stone editor Timothy Ferris described Rock and Roll Animal as a record to be played loud and continued as background music, it isn't much, but powered up on a strong system loud enough to make enemies at a quarter mile away. <laughs> Rock and roll animal as well. Very fine. Okay. Now we got albums turning 40. We're at February 1984. I still don't think Jeremy was around. Nope. No, he wasn't. I wasn't. Three years yet. So we have um, some music news. February 14th, Elton John marries studio engineer Renee Blaile, mm. a woman. Yeah. <laughs> February 16th, Jerry Lee Lewis surrenders to federal authorities on charges of income tax evasion, and he's later acquitted. And here's a follow-up from our last podcast, Jeremy, of the music news, is that Michael Jackson, on February 28th, was recovering from the scalp burns he sustained a month earlier. Okay. Um, he also wins eight Grammy Awards out of the 12 nominations at the 26th Annual Grammy Awards, breaking the record for the most Grammys won in a single year. It's amazing. He wins seven for the album Thriller, mm -hmm. including Album of the Year, Record of the Year for Beat It, and one for his work on the audiobook for the film E.T., The Extraterrestrial. I guess he did the audiobook. So Jeremy uh, has just... Subscribed again to um, Audible. Yep. So maybe maybe uh, check out ET, <laughs> read by Michael Jackson. There we go. You should, you should look at see if it's on there. You should look it up. <laughs> okay, albums we have Rat Out Ooh. of the Cellar, round and it's and their debut album, and probably like I don't know much about Rat except that this one song, which I'm <laughs> going to mention, which is Round and Round, yep. which was a huge hit. And you could pretty much call them a one-hit wonder. Oh, yeah. So this was February 17th, 84. was an immediate success with wide airplay on radio. Heavy rotation on MTV, which I remember. Oh, yeah. Milton Berle's in the video. <laughs> I remember. Yep, yep. So the album was certified as triple platinum. The album brought Rat to the top of the glam metal scene in Los Angeles. And Rat's later work would never surpass the success of Out of the Cellar. I like that title, though. Rat, Out of the Cellar. Yeah. And Rat with two Ts. Yeah. Kids. <laughs> it's a shame, too, because actually that album's not bad. I know you said you only know the one song. I'll have, yeah, I, I, I could go listen to that. I'd, I have listened to that a few yeah. times, actually. I mean, it's not like my all-time favorite or anything, but it's worth a listen to. Yeah. Now, do you know who's on the album cover? Or if you remember what it looks like. I don't remember what it looks like. It's Tawny Katane, who was uh, known for her appearances in the White Snake videos. Oh, okay. I was like, the name sounds familiar. Yeah. And she was also in the film ba Bachelor Party. Okay. I think Tom Hanks is in that. <laughs> okay. Then we got Thompson Twins, who I like, um, Into the Gap. It's their fourth studio album, British pop group. And released February 17th. And the album was recorded in 1983 at Compass Point Studios. Comes up again. <laughs> in the Bahamas. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about them getting robbed or... <laughs> Carrying murder around with them. <laughs> yeah. Despite a mixed response from critics, Into the Gap became the band's most commercially, commercially successful studio album. Peaked at number one on the UK albums chart for three weeks and number 10 on the US Billboard 200. And you probably know these songs, Jeremy, if you don't know the Thompson Twins. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It, the, the name doesn't ring a bell, yeah. but I'm sure a song probably will. Well, there are four songs that were released as singles, but the first two, I'm pretty sure you'll know, is Hold Me Now, Doctor, Doctor. Okay. You know, Hold Me Now. Doo -doo -doo. You know, it's New yeah. Wave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, take Me Up. And Sister of Mercy. I'm not too familiar with the last two. Okay. 
Three of the four singles that were released in the UK made the top five, and the fourth just missed the top ten. According to the RIAA, the record sold over one million copies in the US. UK, the album sold over 600,000. Certified double platinum became one of the year's biggest sellers, with five million copies sold worldwide, and the band embarked on a world tour in support of the album. Now we have The Smiths. Oh. Their debut album, English Rock Band. Uh, this was released February 20th by Rough Trade Records. After the original production by Troy Tate was felt to be inadequate, John Porter re-recorded the album in London, Manchester, and Stockport during breaks in the band's UK tour during September 1983. The album was re- well received by critics and listeners and reached number two on the UK albums chart, staying on the chart for 33 weeks. Wow. And it established the Smiths at a, as a prominent band in the 1980s music scene in the United Kingdom. The album also became an international success, peaking at number 45 in European albums chart and remaining in the chart for 21 weeks. And if you don't know the Smiths, and the lead singer is Morrissey, who went on to a pretty good solo career. Yeah. Then we have Weird Al. Oh, wow. One of, I think this is one of his <laughs> lesser-known albums. but Well, it's got to be one of his first, too. He had to be young. This is the second album. Okay. In 3D, often referred to simply as... Oh, it, it's Weird Al Yankovic in 3D, often referred to as just in 3D. So, yeah, it was second album, February 18th, and the album was one of many produced by former McCoy's guitarist Rick Derringer. Hmm. Recorded between October and December 83, the album was Yankovic's follow-up to his modestly successful debut, Weird Al Yankovic. So half of the album is made up of parodies of artists like Michael Jackson, Men Without Hats, The Greg Kin Band, The Police, Survivor. And the other half of the album contains many style parodies, musical imitations that come close to but not directly copy a specific work by existing artists. Interesting. So this album marked a musical departure from his debut in that the arrangements of the parodies were now closer to the originals. Also, the accordion was no longer used in every song, but only where deemed appropriate or comically inappropriate. Mm. <laughs> and this, is, this album is notable for being the first album released by Yankovic to include a polka medley of hit songs. It's only a second album, so... Right. And Weird Al Yankovic in 3D was met with mostly positive reviews, peaked at number 17 on the Billboard 200, and number 61 in Australia. And the album also produced one of Yankovic's most famous singles, Eat It, which was, of course, a parody of Michael Jackson's Beat It, peaked at number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100. And Eat It charted at number one in Australia. Ken Cook, shout out to our Australian <laughs> listener. We're going to make you famous, Ken Cook. And it was Yankovic's only number one single in any country. That was Weird Al's biggest single up until White and Nerdy mm-hmm. in tw- 2006. Yep. Now we have some albums turning 30, uh, February 94. Uh, we have some news. Blind Melon's lead singer Shannon Hoon is forced to leave the American Music Awards ceremony because of his loud and disruptive behavior. Mm. Hoon is later charged with battery assault, resisting arrest, and destroying a police station phone. Wow. February 11th, the three surviving members of the Beatles secretly reunite to begin recording additional music for a few of John Lennon's old, unfinished demos. Presented to Paul McCartney by Yoko Ono, with Jeff Lynne producing. The track Free as a Bird is released as a single in late 1995 as part of the Exhaustive Beatles Anthology Project, which I remember watching. I think there's three parts to it. But the song reached number two in the UK and number six in the United States. So that was something great at the time, 1995. Of course, the new Beatles song, Now and Then, which came out some months ago, was part of this, part of the uh, songs that Yoko Ono gave to them. But apparently John Lennon recorded, it was a demo, and there was a TV in the background playing. And they didn't have the technology at the time. Ah. So that's why that song just came out. Gotcha. They finally could eliminate or get the vocals to be by themselves. Interesting. Yeah. So we have, we're at February 14th, Grateful Dead's Jerry Garcia marries Deborah Coons. Uh, February 23rd, Eddie Van Halen, Chris Isaac, and B.B. King attend the groundbreaking ceremony for the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino and takes place in Paradise, Nevada. Wow. 
and that it was the first hard rock. Yep. 94. Albums. Another one. Green Day Dookie. Yeah, great album. Third studio album, American rock band Green Day, February 1st, 94. It was recorded in late summer 93 at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, California. Written mostly by singer Billy Joe Armstrong, the album is heavily based around his personal experiences with themes such as boredom, anxiety, relationships, and sexuality. Now, the album had five singles, Longview, Basket Case, a re-recorded version of Welcome to Paradise, which originally appeared on the band's second studio album, Kerplunk, and When I Come Around and She. Such a great album. I don't think there's a bad song. No, there isn't. She is one of my all-time favorites. Actually, I love Green Day, and I don't really think there's a song that I don't like. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those bands. Um, So after several years of grunge dominance in popular music, Dookie brought a livelier, more melodic rock sound to the mainstream with relatable lyrics that reached a universal audience and propelled Green Day to worldwide fame. This is considered one of the most defining albums of the 1990s and punk rock in general. Also pivotal in solidifying the genre's mainstream popularity. And the album influenced a new wave of pop punk bands such as Blink-182, Sum 41, and Fall Out Boy. So today I'm listening, <laughs> I'm listening to this playlist on Apple Music. Uh, and it's the, there's two of them. There's New Rock which is more alternative stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's actually a, like rock, like, but all new music within the last month or two. And I'm driving, so I'm not looking, and I just put it on shuffle. And this song comes on I've never heard before. And I'm like, that sounds like Fallout Boy. And I'm not a big Fallout, but I know the sound. I look at my, I glance at my phone, it's Fallout Boy. <laughs> so they obviously <laughs> have a distinct sound. I, like I mean, I would know Green Day when I heard them. Yeah, yeah. I like Fallout Boy. So, Dookie received critical acclaim upon its release and won the band a Grammy Award for Best Alternative Album, 95. Peaked at number two on the Billboard 200 in the United States and reached top five positions in several other countries. It has sold over 20 million copies worldwide, making it the band's best-selling album, one of the best-selling albums worldwide. And it has been labeled by critics and journalists as one of the greatest albums of the 1990s as one of the greatest punk, rock, and pop punk albums of all time. So Rolling Stone placed it on these two lists, 500 greatest albums of all time. It doesn't say what number. Okay. <laughs> and at number one on their 50 greatest pop punk albums. Wow. I wouldn't consider it true punk, no. Green Day, so pop punk. Number one, probably, because I think they started, like I said earlier, you know, bands like Blink-182 and Sum 41, Fallout Boy, so. And then last, we have Ben Harper, which Jeremy probably doesn't know <laughs> who Ben. I don't know who that is. Welcome to the Cruel World. He's a singer-songwriter, uh, guitarist. I don't, I think he's mostly, a lot of his albums are just him and guitar. He reminds me a little bit of Cat Stevens, though, like his voice. Hmm. Like, there's not a lot of people that sound similar to Cat Stevens. So this was his debut album from Virgin Records, and it established Harper as a popular folk musician in the California area. Area? Area. (laughs) Uh, After this release, Harper went on to add a prominent backing band, The Innocent Criminals, and although they remained unnamed until the Burn to Shine album, the song I'll Rise is based on a 1978 Maya Angelou poem, And Still I Rise. That's off that album, so... Those are albums turning 50, 40, 30. So go out and buy the vinyl, download them, listen to them. And uh, if you haven't heard some of these, some of the big ones, some of the debuts. I mean, if you haven't heard Green Day Dookie, get out there. I don't know where you've been. So much. You've got to be like eight. And the thing is, too, (laughs) that album is no longer than like 40 minutes in total. Those are a lot of short songs. Yeah. So next we have a new segment. And now for the No Good Music Artist Spotlight. So this is the Tierney Sutton Band. And she was born in 1963. And she is an American jazz singer. We don't talk about, a lot about jazz. <laughs> <laughs> now I like, I like jazz, blues. One of my albums was jazz. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> 
but she's a jazz singer. So, you know, there's instrumental jazz, which can get kind of wild and kind of, after a while, I have to say annoying, depends. But she has a really pleasant voice for a jazz singer. And she was born in Nebraska, but grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She received a bachelor's, bachelor's degree from Westland University in Middleton, Connecticut. She attended Berklee College of Music in Boston. Now, for over 20 years, she has led the Tierney Sutton Band with pianist Christian Jacob, bassist Trey Henry, and Kevin Axt, and drummer Ray Brinker. The band is an incorporated unit and makes all musical and business decisions together. And they tour throughout the world and have headlined at Carnegie Hall, the Hollywood Bowl, and jazz at Lincoln Center. Now, what got my attention was her jazz version of the police song, Every Little Thing She Does, Everything She Does is Magic. And I listened to a jazz station. Uh, it's K KCSM. I listen through it through Apple Music. Right. But I usually every morning I listen to jazz <laughs> for a couple hours. Wow. She changed the title to Every Little Thing He Does is Magic. It's a really bold take on this song, all jazzed up. And she even has some, does some scatting, which I mentioned to my friend Tim. He hates people scat, you know, where they just like, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right? All right. Yeah. I looked this song up and she actually put out an entire jazz album, all modeled after police and sting songs oh, okay. called The Sting Variations. So there you go. That's our artist spotlight, the Tierney Sutton Band. Check, check her out. Check the band out. Check that album out if you like The Police and Sting. I know some people don't like songs redone, but this, I think this is so far removed from the original. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to <laughs> sound exactly like, you know, The Police or right. Sting, so... So we're going to take a little break, and next up, we are actually going to get into these random albums, and it's going to be fun, interesting. It's going to be a blast. And maybe, maybe you actually have heard some of them and love them, but I can tell you, <laughs> two, two of my three I don't really love. The one actually was okay. That yeah. we'll, we'll be back, and you'll find out all about it. Okay, we are back, and we are going to talk about our random albums. I don't know if you want me to go first, Jeremy? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to start with the rap album. Right. If I can pull this up here. I did not get any rap albums, but I did have something that's almost equally as bad for me. Looks like you aren't connected to the internet. I'm not trying to connect to the damn internet. What's going on? Okay. What's going to happen is it's going to open like 18 billion yeah. times. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first album I'm going to review is, this was number 46, Paste right. Magazine. Right. And it's Arm and & Hammer, and not to be confused with the baking soda, of course. <laughs> but after listening to this album, I'd actually rather sit and stare at a box of baking soda. <laughs> now this album features, why does my voice sound so bassy? I Does don't know. it sound bassy? No. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so this album features uh, Billy Woods and Elucid, two people I never heard of. Okay. The album's called We Buy Diabetic Test Strips. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, it is a rap album. But it's not your normal rap album. Uh, it's categorized as underground rap. Oh, God. And what does this mean? Good question. Well, underground hip-hop, also commonly known as indie hip-hop or underground rap, is an umbrella term for hip-hop music that is outside the general commercial canon. There you go. Whatever right. that means. All so. right. So this is their sixth studio album. American hip-hop group Arm & Hammer uh, was released on September 29th through Fat Possum. Uh, there's guest appearances. We got JPEG Mafia. All right. Warm Mother. M-O-O-R. E-I-P. P. 
Pierce Jordan of Soul Glow. Pink Sifu. <laughs> Curly Castro. Yeah, we know him. Cavalier. And Jeremy, someone I know you are a huge fan of. Uh-huh. And it's Jungle Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first Arm & Hammer album to not be released under the Backwoods Studios label. So on July 3rd, here's a little background, Billy Woods revealed that their sixth album was almost done, saying that they took a pretty different approach and that Elucid was still working on the record. Soon after, the band sent out postcards and flyers with phone numbers that, that led to album and pre-order details. That's pretty cool. You're a fan of the band? Get a little... Still sending out postcards. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, Lucid described the recording process as an assembly of talented rappers meeting for the first time in the studio to jam to pre-recorded beats before splintering off into new directions. The opportunity to watch them drift off into their own sonic worlds was clear, was a clear magical moment for him. So I got the impression, even though they've been around for 10 years now, that they just got some new music programming software and they wanted to play, <laughs> and they wanted to play around with it. You okay. Know? But the background music and sounds are quite interesting. I mean, this is a little different than your standard rap album. There's a song, Woke Up and Asked Siri How I'm Gonna Die, instead of lyrics about... <laughs> I laugh at my own notes here. <laughs> about bitches and caps and asses. He talks about tinnitus. And compares it to a chainsaw, which I'm familiar with. See, it, it talks to me. This song talked to me. <laughs> uh, he mentions about wanting to eat a marble steak and even spaceships in this one. So we got a lot going on in here. Okay. You know. Good stuff. Maybe the spaceship caused the tinnitus. You know, spaceship gets too close. You know, you hear something in your backyard. You walk out there. It's loud. It could be loud. Uh, for sure. Maybe. Your house you is know. probably shaking. Yeah, yeah. Causing things to make loud noises. <laughs> and then track three, we have the flexible unreality of time and memory. It utilizes what sounds to me like, it really sounds like a sound. I was trying to, I, I should have looked on my Roland. I have a Roland D20 keyboard, which is from the late 80s. So there's a sound on that. There's all different sounds on the Roland, but it's like a pipe organ kind of. It sounded exactly like the sound that's on that keyboard. So there's 15 songs on this album. It's uh, 53 minutes long. Okay. Now, it's hard for me to say they should have whittled it down to maybe 10 songs. Most of the songs kind of sound the same, except the, you know, the, the rapping sounds similar, like the, the way they're rapping. But the sounds are different, of course, on each of the songs. Right. But they're, I don't know, they're obsessed with the, with the phone for some reason on this one. And it reminded me... Whenever I hear on a a song, like a phone pickup and someone talking, it reminds me of Pink Floyd, The Wall. Okay. Because there, there's, there's one where someone's trying to call someone and the woman's on the other and she's like, I don't know, he's not picking up. You know, it's like the operator. Mm -hmm. So it always reminds me of that. I mean, the very first song we have a phone ringing in the beginning and you hear a phone dialing. One song, actually, someone picks up the phone. They're talking about some girl or something. And one of the last songs has a phone just ringing and ringing at the end of the song. Hmm. You think someone's going to pick up. It's disappointing. Nobody picks up. <laughs> a lot of phones going on there. Now, numbers, track seven. I can't even say the name of the song. <laughs> it's, um, well, it's something, and then in parentheses, blocked call. So we'll call it blocked call. Oh, my God. But it's weird because it mentions... Now, I've never heard of this drug. Maybe I've heard of this drug before. Ketamine. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. But I've only heard of it recently because of Matthew Perry. Yeah. And it's in this song. They're talking about ketamine. Okay. And then the album came out a month before Matthew Perry died. I mean, the lyric is, my heart pumps ketamine. Okay. And he says it about six times in the song. Other sounds on the album are like sounds played backwards. We do have some backup singers on some of the songs, which is a plus. Now, I was driving to the grocery store, and the, <laughs> and I'm listening, because a lot of times I listen in the car. You got you the know, windows when down, no. blasting the music. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a song called When It Doesn't Start With a Kiss, and there's so many like plunky, odd sounds 
going on in the song. I thought the car, I thought I, you know, when you don't have your seatbelt on, yeah. I, I, I actually was looking to see if I didn't have my seatbelt on <laughs> and it was in the song. Nice. Yeah. And then you had the car bouncing up and down, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then track six is called trauma, which actually gave me some trauma because it starts out with some repetitive cymbal crashes for about a minute, a minute long. All right. And I think the cymbal button was sticking on the keyboard or whatever they were, you know, programming with. Once I got past the 10th song, I was actually going to stop listening to this. But I got home from the grocery store. I had to chop up some peppers. Because, you know, a little personal thing here, but our grocery store, I don't know what they do to the produce, but it doesn't last more than three days. <laughs> you put a pepper, you have a pepper, you know, a green pepper. No. Three days later, it's like, it's, it's. It's like rubber. Hmm. I don't know. So I, I, I freeze. That's what I'm getting at. I'm chopping up pepper. So I had the earbuds in and I was surprised because and I was glad I listened to the last couple songs because they took a slight turn. Yeah. Kind of a weird turn, but two weirdest songs are Supermoon and Switchboard. Supermoon, there are voices that echo, machinery sounds. I don't know, some weird voices at the end. One sounds like an alien. But it's almost like they put a little bit of extra effort into the last couple of songs. Interesting. And Switchboard has this creepy background sound. You know, in the old days when you try and start up your, you know, connect to the modem. But it sounds like that along with a baby crying. <laughs> Maybe it could be real life mixed in. The one lyric I laughed out loud is him talking about floating in the universe and... I guess meaning he's coming down from the sky, he's floating, and he's coming down. And the lyric is, remind me when I come down, suck me when I wake. <laughs> like, <All right>. <laughs> like freaking laugh. <laughs> like, what? So the song is kind of mesmerizing. Uh, halfway through, we have some angelic voices kind of kick in. And that's the song where the phone's just ringing and ringing. Pretty much that song, Switchboard, is the oddest song. But... It's still something I wouldn't, you know, go back and listen to. We're going to rate these, Jeremy, from 1 to 10. Okay. okay. Old school. And I'm giving this 4 just for the effort. I mean, it does take some effort to program stuff and make an album. So I'll give you a 4. So that was my first album. Okay. And again, that was, in case anybody's interested, Arm & Hammer, uh, We Buy Diabetic Test Strips. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they do. That's know. insane. It's whack. There you go. <laughs> All right. So my first album was an instrumental jazz album. Uh, it was by Jamie Birch. Was that her name? Jamie Branch. Sorry. And this is the young lady who died before the album was oh, okay. released. So the movie is or movie. The album's called Fly or Die, Fly or Die, Fly or Die, World War. It's the third studio album by the jazz trumpeteer. It's critically acclaimed, and it's she's considered to be punk jazz. Okay, the main person died? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Jamie Branch. Okay. Critically acclaimed, it's got, like, off-the-charts reviews. The sound wasn't awful. According to Wikipedia, there is voices credited in the album i don't remember hearing any words okay <laughs> so <laughs> either i missed that or I, maybe they're mi mixed in somehow they might the be mix. i'm not sure but it i don't want to make it sound horrible because it wasn't awful it definitely gave you that louisiana new mm -hmm. orleans type of feel okay but i think you touched on it earlier that's okay for a little while, but for a whole album, it's just like, I, I, by about the fifth song, I was just like, I'm done. And well, the, the well, fifth song was nine minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you and I both, I probably like more different music than you do. I would say you're much more reversed. But, but I know you like hard, hard stuff and, and, but both of us like ACDC. Uh-huh. But I, I probably couldn't listen to ACDC for like three hours or two hours. It, there's a point. Right. <laughs> right? Right. You got it. You get your fix and then that's like jazz. I mean, I listened to it for 40 minutes, an hour. I could listen to one ACDC album in one night. Mm -hmm. But do I want to put a second one on? I might want to listen. <laughs> right. You know. Right. You know what I'm saying. Depends on the mood. Yeah. But yes, I know what you're saying. <laughs> there were 
three songs in here that were super long. One was seven minutes, one was nine minutes and ten seconds, and one was nine minutes and seven seconds. The rest of the songs vary from a minute and 58 seconds to four minutes and 32 seconds. So, like, (laughs) you have really long songs, you have really short songs, and there's a couple in between. Again, I'm not trying to totally crap on this album. It wasn't my thing. And I couldn't get into it at all. Um, I only listened to it one time, to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. And there's not even really a lot to say about it because it was just... Yeah. It was just music. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there wasn't even lyrics to relate to or anything. So it was it was a challenge to get through this one. But are there other musicians on there? They do have some other people listed here. The personnel, you have Jamie Branch, who played the trumpet, keyboard, percussion. Is that a woman or a man? That's a woman. Okay. You have Lester St. Louis, who played the cello. He's listed for voice, flute, marimba. Okay. I was just keyboard. wondering if there was, it wasn't just trumpet. It was... Yeah, other no, there's, there's a little bit of other stuff. You got Jason Ajemian on the double bass, the electric bass, mm-hmm. marimba, Chad Taylor on drums, Im- Imbira, Timpani, bells, <laughs> and the marimba, and yeah, that's it. So, I don't even know what some of those instruments are, to she... be completely honest with you. <laughs> was she young, old? Or... Yeah, she was young. Oh. Um, I didn't look her up completely, but I want to say she was... Hold on a second. She's... I want to say she was in, like, her 30... 39. Okay. So, yeah. And it sounded like... Because this was her third album. I know I said that. Mm -hmm. But it sounded like the first two were also very successful. Okay. That she was ready to kind of blow up. Yeah. It's just odd because she was out of Nebraska. So it Mm -hmm. seems like a... I mean, honestly, anybody can be into any kind of music Wasn't the artist that I did a spotlight on... I think she was from Nebraska. There you go. She's a jazz singer. It's Nebraska Day. Yeah, what's going on in Nebraska (laughs) these days? Yeah, apparently they're into the jazz. (laughs) (laughs) They get tired of the country. I mean, I wish I had more, but it's kind of hard to talk about an instrumental album. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So my next one is an artist goes by the name of Yule. The album is Soft Scars. Like the log? Yeah, like a Yule log. Okay, perfect. I think her full name is Yule Log. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. no. So this was number 29, Paste Magazine, top 50 albums. Released September 22nd, 12 songs, 40 minutes. Now, Yule is the musical project of Singaporean songwriter and producer Nat Samil. And Nat is a female, and she were they, Jeremy. Oh, okay. Oh, also, Yule is derived from the Final Fantasy character. Oh, of okay. The Padra Nasu Yule. Okay. I don't I've, play Final Fantasy. I've played the games. So it's a character from there. Now, she, they, describe themselves as a cyborg being, painter, musician, and performer. And they live in London. Now, I'll say they're a little strange. And I said she is non-binary, but intriguing. I have went on Instagram, looked her up. Are they up? <laughs> it's hard for, <laughs> hard for me to use the pronouns, but I'll try. So if you look up photos at their photos and videos, sometimes they like to make their face to almost look like a doll. It's it's a little strange. Mm-hmm. And the cover art looks like it could be a doll or maybe it's AI generated. I think it's her. It's weird because I, I, I think it's her. She's in a dress, but her face looks a little dollish. Okay. So I don't I don't know if she actually uses makeup to make it look like that. It's kind of kind of cool though. Now I did enjoy the album. The first track is XWX. This has to be the hardest sounding song on the album. So I was I was kind of like what am I in for? It kind of sounds industrial, very chaotic. There's uh thunderous drums, pounding guitars and I have in my notes, I couldn't listen to that too long. Like if that whole album was was like that. Right. Now the second track is uh, Sulky Baby. Total opposite. Baby. Pretty good beat. It's uh, kind of a bittersweet song. Lyrics are a bit depressing. And I think the song reflects on her being non-binary. And I know this is a music podcast, but if you're unfamiliar, uh, it's someone who doesn't identify female or male. I'll say that. Like, there's a line, losing the arms race, your family's disgrace, the dreams that you chase turns into meaningless space. Okay. So, it could be, like, 
you know, depression and people not accepting you for who you are. There's a piano instrumental on this album uh, called Fish in a Pool. That's track seven. Now, the album doesn't list anyone as playing any instruments. <laughs> so I'm not sure if this is AI created, music, programmed. But even if it was programmed, do you think you have... I think there's like people that mix the album or... Yeah, there's people that listed that mixed it and mastered it. But no one like, oh, this person's playing guitar, this person's playing drums, you know. Now, there were a couple songs that stood out. Track 8, Software Update. Now, like I said, most of the songs sound pre-programmed, but this one has some nice acoustic guitar. Very sweet, flowing song. Interesting song. And according to Apple Music, the song fantasizes about a lover downloading their mind after their body is gone. So they're still around. There's one lyric, you're never alone. I'm inside your phone. Personality built on your screen, too. Okay. <laughs> uh, track nine, Inferno, reminded me of U2's Numb. Oh. The way she's singing the lyrics, how the words flow. Track 11, Cyber Meat, a favorite song on the album. Uh, goes from what sounds like something being played off a radio to more, and then it clears up. Very upbeat song. Could even be considered grunge pop i'm sure that's a genre there you go now there's a lot of dark lyrics on this album and disguised as kind of sappy popish love songs but you know you got to listen to the lyrics someone's either dying getting stabbed bleeding out eating flesh or asking do you think i could kill with a baseball bat so if you just listen to the music you weren't really listening to the lyrics right. one of those things you know okay <laughs> now i think her voice is a cross between selena gomez <laughs> Lily Allen, I don't know if you know who she is, Jeremy. No. Uh, she's a British singer. Okay. Where Yule takes on a British accent sometimes. Also, Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo. I thought she sounded a little bit like. So, overall, the album was good mix. I think the album musically was great as far as program music. A lot of creative work went into the music. And I know music purists would scoff at that comment. But it does have its place in music. I mean, it is... Um, to sit there and be able to program, and I've, I have a music programming or music software, mm -hmm. and it's not as easy as it seems. Right. You still got to know what sounds good and what goes together well. So I feel the lyrics could have been a little better. There's a lot of verses that are repeated. Would I listen again? I'd, I'd actually put <laughs> Cyber Meat, that song, on a playlist. <laughs> the album itself probably is not something I'd listen to as a whole. Right rather put on a Dua Lipa album. And Jeremy, I don't know, but we're under contract now. I have to say Dua Lipa on every podcast. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'd give it a 6 out of 10. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, that that was the best out of out of three. Okay. Because I saved the worst for last. <clears throat> oh, okay. Okay. We didn't get there yet. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, we went from, for me, uh, you know, no lyrics to... My second album being the genre I least enjoy, which is country. It was Jess Williamson, Timing Accidental. Uh, this was, she's an indie folk singer-songwriter, and she's from North Carolina. Album itself is 36 minutes and 25 seconds. She is getting comparisons to Taylor Swift. Okay. I didn't hear it, personally, other than all of her songs are big-time breakup songs. Okay. That's probably why. So it was, yeah, it was very, like, I don't know. She tried to kind of take her heartbreak and turn it more, uh, like, upbeat, in a sense, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's just nothing but breakup. And it's very, I don't want to say depressing, but when you mix that, <laughs> combine that with country, which I'm not a huge fan of, yeah, you just... <laughs> it didn't mesh well. Uh, there was song, one song, song eight, it's called Something's in the Way. That one kind of stood out to me because it was more of a ballad as opposed mm -hmm. to just a country. Wasn't uh, that a Nirvana? Poppy song. <laughs> yeah. Then <clears throat> there's the Beatles something. But I mean, overall, the songs weren't too long. In fact, the longest song was four minutes and 49 seconds, but that was the last song of the album. Well, yeah, the album you said is 36 minutes. Yeah. How many songs? Are 10. 10. Sorry, yeah. 11. 11. Oh, okay. So most songs were only like three minutes long. So it didn't bore me. Mm -hmm. I'm just not a big fan of country. And yeah. then when it's all sappy breakup songs, like, 
there's yeah. just there's nothing pulling me in so yeah. i wouldn't say it was a bad album but it mm-hmm. wasn't again i'm two for two it just wasn't an album for me and her there was nothing like distinct about her voice that even kind okay. of you yeah. know stood out to me as oh mm-hmm. wow she's got this amazing voice or she relates to Cher or Celine Dion like something yeah, yeah. there wasn't really anything there so it was, to me it was just another album you know I'd give it like maybe a four or five out of ten for me it was just average yeah I think well with the state of music you know you like we've mentioned before you can just record something off your computer like you can record into your computer and you can make an album right back back in the day <laughs> You would be trying to get a recording contract and you had to be unique. I mean, somewhat. You had to either have a gimmick or I think the last person to maybe have a gimmick was Lady Gaga. Yeah. And the thing was, she can sing. So it's sad that she thought, I mean, that was her thing, but you know, it's sad that she maybe thought she had to do something to get people's attention. But now you can just put out an album. You can, you can actually maybe even get some shows, make a a little bit of a living, get a following. But yeah, I always, I always look for, gotta be a unique voice, sort of interesting music. I mean, I'll listen to some country, but I like, it's called Outlaw Country, and it's got more of an edge to it. Okay. Like one person I really like is Sarah Shook, her name is, and the Disarmers. She's got this edginess to her, and this, this, I don't know. She's got like, almost like, she's probably like five foot, you know, you wouldn't want to, meet up with her in the, the, the alley. <laughs> nice. I think she also is, she's also softened over the years too, but I don't think she's probably not that person anyway. Right. And I'm trying to get her for an interview. That's like outlaw country. Like, uh, Nikki Lane is another one. I don't, I don't like the straightforward country. You know, I don't like Carrie Underwood. Like, I, I, I don't really, I own a couple Dolly part, you know, like Dolly Parton Christmas album, but you know, like Rockstar was okay, but yeah, not great. So this is my last one, and this is probably got to be. And after this podcast, I'm going to play Jeremy, Uh-oh. and then Jeremy will be like, "You are absolutely right," and it'll probably be the worst thing that Jeremy's ever heard. <laughs> now this was number thirty-two, yeah, Pace Magazine, and I tried to figure out if this is the person's real name because <laughs> her name is it's Reverend. Kristen and Michael Hader. And she used to go by just Kristen. Think about it. Kristen Hader. Christian Hader, right? And it's called Saved. Came out October 20th. And I have here, this is perhaps the worst album I've ever heard since Van Halen 3. Wow. Now this is labeled as a Christian album. All songs are about God, Jesus, Jesus' blood, dying, the devil, possession. All, All right. that church jazz. All right. Now, the album documents her attempt at salvation through religion. I don't normally listen or ever to Christian music. I mean, I know there's Striper. Wasn't Striper a <laughs> Christian band? I don't know. Okay. This woman cannot sing. I'm not sure who told her she could sing, and whoever it was needs a good beat down. <laughs> nice. Her voice is over-dramatized for effect. I mean, you can hear she's trying real hard, but it's actually too hard and painful for the ears. <laughs> <laughs> now, she's from England, even though this is her debut as Reverend Christian Michael Hader. She did put out albums as Ling- Linguia Ignata. How are those? Did starting, you listen to them? <laughs> it pretty much sounds the same. Okay. Starting in 2018. She must know somebody. <laughs> now, she became a real minister, but through an online ministry. <laughs> okay. And I think I read she started her own church. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> this is a cult leader? <laughs> <laughs> now, she claims this is a new persona, but as Jeremy just asked me, I listened to some of her other songs, and they pretty much sound all the same. I mean, she couldn't sing back then, and she can't sing now. Think of a, think, and I have think of a tone deaf Lady Gaga. There you go. God. So this album is not only weird, but it's annoying right from the first song. She used to have friends, but they all drank the Kool Aid first. (laughs) I'm getting out while I can. 
I guess it's supposed to sound like it's from an old album, like most of the songs sound on this, but this is most annoying song. Someone actually stops and st- like if you had a vinyl, you're listening to a vinyl record, right? Mm-hmm. And someone actually stopped the vinyl and started it. This is this is about a minute in. You'd hear that oh, an awful noise. Well, it the music just stops, starts again. Oh, okay. And then the volume, this is the most, the volume is going down. I thought there was something wrong with my, again, with my my car radio or something. I'm like, what's going on with this car? (laughs) Because the volume goes down and up and then it goes down. Like, and it's not like in rhythm or anything. It's like sporadic. And I'm like. Well, you are driving a Plymouth named Christine. So, I mean, you might not like the music. Now, the end of the song nearly gave me a heart attack. Okay. It's it's definitely someone that's possessed. <laughs> okay. That's why I'm going to play that song for you, Jeremy. <laughs> that song. I mean, I prayed the devil didn't come out and get get, get into me somehow. Yeah. You know? Possessed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it goes right into the second song called "All My Friends Are Going to Hell," <laughs> and it has an annoying beeping sound and then humming, and then we hear a church piano. I mean, <laughs> sorry. I mean, this sounds like a song from the 30s. Something you're looking like you're in some record store and you, they have a section of all these old albums that nobody wants, you know, from the 30s. Yeah. That nobody knew about. You put it on your turn and like some underground 1930s church like music. So then uh, track five, we have I Will Be With You Always. I mean, is that the devil? Is that God? Is that her? uh, It might be talking about, might be talking about Jesus. Okay. I don't know. Okay. But it has some, there's annoying sound in this one, like a fire, like, like a fire alert or something. And I had to turn down the music in my car. I thought there was a fire somewhere. Like there, (laughs) you know, when the, the, the firehouse, like. Yeah, yeah, the sounds. Like, yeah, that's what it sounded like. <laughs> I actually, and I'm not lying. I actually thought, along with the the other album, I thought my seatbelt was unbuckled. I mean, I don't know what's going on here. It's making me, you know, made me agitated. These albums. So, song we have track seven. <laughs> May this comfort and protect you. And track eight, the poor wearfaring stranger. Now they go together. It's a piano that's been distorted, distorted sound. The songs almost sound the same. The vocals are drag on as well as the music. The same thing is played over and over both songs. Now, track seven is four minutes. Mm-hmm. Track eight is seven minutes long. And halfway through, you just want to fling your body off of something. Maybe put your head in a pot of boiling water. It's logical. Now, the, now track eight which is the long one, starts with someone possessed again, which is now starting to scare the crap out of me. I mean, I'm in my car driving, you know, and maybe I shouldn't listen to these albums in the car. Now, this possessed person sounds like an auctioneer that's possessed. (laughs) And I have to to play that for you because I'm I'm serious. Um, (laughs) All right. Now this, let's see. Can't wait. Satan's coming. Do you hear yeah. that? Yeah, if you hear the the garage door keeps going up and down. <laughs> I'm scared. You probably can't hear it. But. There's a vessel coming. <laughs> oh, no, because I'm talking about her. Yeah, exactly. Holy crap, she's in the house. <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> Stop talking about my album. What the hell is that? Okay, I'm going to wrap this up quick. <laughs> If anything, I, the album, I, I guess I like the novelty of it, but I mean, I was kind of laughing at some of this and I can't believe this album is on anyone's that's, top 50 that's list. That's the thing, it's made a top 50 yeah. list. <laughs> I mean, who, who is the person that put this on this list? You know, I want to know who's listening to this and liking it. This is probably the lowest rated album I've ever given a rating to. I've been giving it a one out of 10 so okay so there we go and if you want to check it out see what i'm talking about reverend Kristen, Kristen michael hater h-y-t-e-r mm-hmm. saved 
There you go. All right. My final album. I went 0 for 3 on my album roulette, but this one was ranked really high, and it was the best of the three. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Javelin is the name of the album by Sufjan Stevens. Hmm. 42 minutes in length. It's an indie folk album. Uh, there were three singles that were re- released uh, before the album was released. You had So You Are Tired, Will Anybody Ever Love Me, and A Running Start. This, it, it's got a folk, like, genre, mm-hmm. but it felt very, like, psychedelic to me. You okay. know, that kind of, I don't want to say Pink Floyd, but mm-hmm. maybe like a Grateful Dead type of feel, but okay. not not as enjoyable. (laughs) There was one song that I really liked, which is called there's a world. It's only two minutes and 29 seconds long. It's the last song on the album, Hmm. but I didn't realize until doing some research for this is actually written by Neil Young. Oh, okay. So maybe that's why I liked it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I enjoy Neil Young. Um, you know, the songs are pretty standard. They're just, there was nothing special mm-hmm. that stood out to me. There's only one song called Shit Talk that's really loud, or really loud, really long. Mm-hmm. It's eight minutes and 31 seconds. And I don't even know why it's called Shit Talk. Okay. It didn't... He doesn't say shit? <laughs> <laughs> no. But otherwise, most of the songs were only like three, four minutes long. So nothing was too long. This was number two, I think, on my list okay. of the albums that I got. And I don't know. It just There was nothing about it that stood out to me as being a top album <laughs> mm-hmm. what number was that on i think it was number two. Oh, okay huh yeah wow i don't know i i wouldn't listen to it again it didn't really leave a lasting impression on me last year when we did this one of my albums i listened to multiple times and i actually enjoyed mm-hmm. the artist yeah. and followed them so i was kind of excited because i got like 213 and maybe 27 or something like that i don't remember the exact oh, okay. numbers yeah but I thought, you know, okay, at least one of these three will probably be really enjoyable. Or even if you find a couple songs I put in a playlist or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was just, I had about, what, 30 songs to choose from. One album I kind of consider a wash because it was all instrumental. And mm-hmm. unless it's a band I really like or there was something special about it, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, have an instrumental song. But between the other two albums, there really wasn't, you know, anything aside from the ballad that I mentioned from Jess Williamson that I liked. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately for me, I was 0 for 3, and the genres didn't help because <laughs> they were country, you know, jazz, and then this one is considered, like I said, indie folk, but it felt more psychedelic, so. Well, I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking next year we, we, get one, we get one pass. Like, while we're picking them, mm-hmm. if you, we see what, if it's country and you're like, okay, that's my pass. I'm going to, and then we pick another one. It could be another country album, but right. Yeah. No, like maybe, if I get a rap album, maybe, maybe it's a skip. Yeah, yeah. Cause I love listening to new stuff and I'm not trying to, you know, rip on the three artists that I got, mm-hmm. but when it's not your thing, sometimes it's, it's really difficult yeah. unless something stands well, out. I mainly started this. So we kind of listen to stuff we normally wouldn't, but hopefully something that's, that's good. Right. But, Right. And I love the idea of branching out. Like I said last year, and I forget the band now, but I'd have to go back and listen to the episode. I enjoyed one of the albums that I did so much that I kept following the band. Mm-hmm. And now it's drawn a blank on me who it was. But Like, I want to say that last album I reviewed is on a, at least one other list. Wow. Because our next podcast, we're going to compare three lists that are top ten who they picked Mm -hmm. and you'll see some duplicates in there not exactly the same order but i think that (laughs) reverend was on someone else it might have been pitchfork because i got pitchfork and rolling stone pitchfork popped up on mine a lot too yeah for my albums the thing is i I think if we picked a different list it'd still be similar albums on there yeah you know yep i mean paste paste magazine i it was actually a magazine at one time and I actually was, I was going through my CDs. I've seen, I've my, a lot of my CDs are in, in book. I have two big booklets that you can fit 500 CDs in there. Mm-hmm. And I came across two CD. They used to put a CD in the magazine, which was cool. And it came with the magazine and it was like 15 songs mm-hmm. and artists that they talked about, like new artists. 
Right. So I have two two of those. And but anyway, Pace Magazine is just an online, uh, like a lot of magazines now. Right. And um, Pitchfork, I'm not sure where they came from. Of course, Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone's really hit and miss. And yeah. Could I could have been listening to a Cardi B album or, you know, um, uh, SZA, you know, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so that does it, I guess, for the show. And thanks for listening. We really appreciate uh, our listeners. If you want to contact us, uh, tell us, you know, only good things. Uh, <laughs> it's no good music podcast, K N O W, good music podcast at gmail.com. If you're a uh, musician uh, that has put out a recording, songs, album in the last, we'd say, two years, something fairly new that you want us to listen to, if we like it, we'll get back to you and, you know, we can play your song on the podcast, talk about you. We've had a bunch of people now that uh, have reached out to us. so. So thanks for listening, everybody. This month, we will also have, hopefully, an interview. Matt and I are scheduled tomorrow. And we'll also have another podcast, which will continue our, our top 10 albums from last year. So Much different than the six we covered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so remember, folks, turn off the TV. And turn up the music. You've been listening to No Good Music, intro and exit music by the band 99%. Today's show is produced and edited by Rob J. Lilly and recorded at the Did You Say 7 Studios in Washington, New Jersey. You can find No Good Music on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Pandora, and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts.